I was asked this uh, morning if I really meant there to be two titles. And if you're looking at your notes there, there really are two titles. And I was kind of inspired by a show I used to like when I was a kid called, called Rocky and Bullwinkle. Have you guys ever seen Rocky and Bullwinkle? Some of you have. Yeah, I like that. And there's always this segment that has two titles. So I've got two titles, and, and, and they're both a little fun, and you'll see how they tie in with, with, with this message this morning. There's a uh, quote by Fyodor Do, uh, Do, Dostoevsky. You know, I actually worked on pronouncing that, but didn't plan on stuttering. Uh, uh, which says, the mystery of human existence lies not just in staying alive, but in finding something to live for. I mean, purpose. There, there, here's another one by Winston Churchill. It's not enough to have lived. We should be determined to live for something. A well, couple quotes about that. We, our lives need purpose. And so some uh, different kind of famous people, some uh, politicians and authors have suggested what our purpose should be. The purpose of life is to live it. This is what, what, what Eleanor Roosevelt said. The purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experience. That sounds dangerous, but okay, here, here's, here's what Ralph Waldo Emerson says. The purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. It's a nice sentiment there. Robert F. Kennedy says, the purpose of life is to contribute in some way to making things better. What is the purpose of your life? We're going to see today how God's messenger, the Apostle Paul, answers that question 2,000 years ago. Paul's purpose statement is part of God's word. It's breathed out by God for our instruction today, and it's an example for us to follow. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26 I'm going to read. And Paul's purpose statement, you're going to see there in verse 21. Now, remember as we uh, read from the book of Philippians that Paul, during this time, is, wrong, is wrongfully imprisoned. He's awaiting trial before Emperor Nero. He's writing to a church he had planted 10 years previously. But it's a discouraged church. It's a church that's burdened by disunity within and by persecution from without. So as you think about that, Paul, waiting trial, a discouraged church. Think about that as we read from Philippians 1, 12 through 26. And then we'll listen to that purpose version, verse 21. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. You've given it to us. We are reminded how beneficial it was this morning. It is necessary for us, and we need uh, what you have recorded for us through uh, the man you sent, the Apostle Paul. Lord, I pray, Father, that our lives would be transformed. I pray, Father, that we would be eager to be with Christ, but that we would see that living here is also for Christ. Please give us ears attentive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We see it there in verse 21, what Paul's purpose statement is. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, the statement doesn't exist by itself, though. This is not like walking into an office building and seeing one of those motivational posters of someone running up a mountain at dawn. You know, some kind of nice slogan there. But in a sense, what Paul has done here really is writing his own life verse. I don't encourage you to write your own life verse. You can maybe write a purpose statement. Uh, but here the life verse is, is written for you. It's Paul's life verse, Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This purpose statement of Paul flows logically from what he said previously. In chapter 1, verse 1, he, de he describes himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. In verses 3 through 11, we see how central Christ was in Paul's prayer. He loves with the affection of Christ Jesus in verse 8. He prays with a view to the coming day of Jesus Christ in verses 6 and 10. He's aware that any God-pleasing God living is through Jesus Christ in verse 11. He's imprisoned for the cause of Christ in verse 13. He rejoices that Christ is proclaimed in verse 18. All of his life is about Christ. And he will rejoice... We saw in verse 20, he will rejoice because he is confident in his future salvation according to my earnest expectation and hope. But that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's life was Jesus Christ. Regardless of the outcome of, this, of his upcoming trial, Paul would continue to exalt Christ, whether by life or by death. To exalt Christ, to magnify him to put the spotlight on him, to reveal him, to proclaim him, to proclaim the gospel of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ and the supremacy of Christ and the deity of Christ and the reign of Christ and the love of Christ and the power of Christ and the judgment of Christ. That's what Paul's whole life was about, exalting Christ. And it's here that Paul senses an open door to shepherd the, the Philippians. See, the Philippians were concerned about Paul, and rightly so. He's their pastor, and now he's a missionary that they've been faithful to support and pray for, take care of his needs, every opportunity they had. And so, of course, they were wondering, is Paul going to die? How's Paul doing? Are we going to see him again? So Paul takes a moment to summarize how he views life and death. This is for their benefit, so that they know how he's doing, but it's also to disciple them, it's to train them. So in verses 21 to 26, Paul uses his meditation on life and death 
to challenge the Philippians to exalt Christ by longing to be with him and by laboring for others. He encourages them to exalt Christ by longing to be with Christ and by laboring for others. And so today we're going to ask five application questions as we explore and unwrap and meditate on Paul's purpose statement. And really, he's going to do a lot of that for us. We're going to see his internal dialogue as he processes through this purpose statement, as he applies it. So we're going to ask ourselves some questions as we go on. So let's get started here by looking at Paul's purpose statement for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is Paul's philosophy of life on this side of heaven. Like I said, this is his life verse. It's a succinct and well-worded statement, and it is in the Greek, and even more so in the Greek. If, if, if you spoke Greek, you see that it has a certain kind of rhythm to it. Now, I don't speak ancient Greek, uh, and you can, you can actually download uh, the, the, the New Testament being read in Greek. I don't sound anything like it as I try this, but... but uh, uh, I'm going to try it. I'll try to do it with as little stuttering as possible. Listen to that. To live as Christ. To die as gain. And Paul's intentionally here. This, this is a well-crafted statement. He parallels two similar sounding words, Christos and Kurdos, and Zane to live and to name to die, has a rhyme to it. So Paul wants us to be caught by them. He wants it to be remembered by them. I'm not saying he'd encourage them to get, to get tattoos of this, but if you were to get a tattoo, this would not be bad or not encouraging that. But if you had to, this is a good one. Paul parallels the similar sounding Christos and Kurdos so that it sticks in their memory. Now, when he says, for me, he's not saying that this shouldn't be for you too. But it is his personal confession. This wasn't a motivational uh, poster on his prison wall. But it was a reminder for him. It was a reduction of Paul's reality. It was how he was already living. For years, Paul had lived with the single, life-defining purpose, the exaltation of Christ. And for years, Paul had lived with the intimate possibility of dying for Christ. Listen from 2 Corinthians 11, 23-27, to what some of Paul's uh, near-death experiences are. Beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day have I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. Paul was no stranger to the possibility of death. He had time to think about dying being gain. In verses 22 to 24, Paul's going to expand more what this verse means. But there's a simplicity here. There, there's some equal signs. Living equals Christ. Dying equals gain or profit. It's in his interest. Living equals Christ and dying equals gain. Now, we've seen the last couple of weeks how Paul lived out for me to live as Christ. To live as Christ means to exalt Christ. It means to proclaim him. It means to serve him. It means to obey him. It means to obey him. 
As one commentator states, Paul has no meaning apart from Christ. Quote, he is the object, the motive, the inspiration, the goal of all that the apostle does. End quote. Christ is Paul's heartbeat. Christ is his purpose. Christ is his center. Christ is his ambition. Christ is Paul's reason for waking up. He wakes up and says, how can I get more glory for Christ today? How can I get more glory for Christ in the next hour? Now, the best illustration I can think of of this is a little dark. Have you ever seen one of those revenge movies? I'm sure you guys don't want... Okay, good, thank you. Uh, you, you, you know the kind. The person wants one thing, and it's revenge. They are completely consumed with vengeance. There's no sacrifice... That's too great, you know, and we see them. They get, they get cut up, and they're shot, they've got holes in them, and they just keep going. Like, I'm going to go until I get revenge on this person. I'm going to kill them. They're obsessed with it. Nothing's going to stop them. You're like, aren't you dead already? And, but they keep going. They get up, and they go again. That kind of revenge movie, not at all encouraging watching them. That's a great picture of what it means for me to live as Christ. It's that single purpose. It's that obsession. I don't care what you do with, do with me, do to me. I'm going to get up again, and tomorrow I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to try to get Christ more glory. So the question, and this is our first application question. You can write these down. You've got room there. Can I say for me to live is Christ? I'll put those in the first person just so you can write them down. Can I say for me to live as Christ. Now Paul's going to clarify more of what that means. He's going to kind of unravel that a little bit for us. But I think we can already start answering that. We'll really start asking some more questions. Is Christ at your center? There's, there's so many different ways we could say this. Are you consumed with his glory? Do you listen to his commission? Are you driven by Christ's direction, by his commands? Are you sacrificing for Christ's fame, for his honor? Are you risking for Christ's kingdom? Are you obsessed with Christ's pleasure, with him being pleased with your obedience? Does his agenda dominate your calendar? You know, how many notifications do you have bring Christ's glory? Bring Christ's glory. Bring Christ's glory when I get home. Bring Christ's glory in the next meeting. Bring Christ's glory in the way that I clean the house. Bring Christ's glory. Is that what your calendar is marked with? Or is there maybe something else on the side of your equal sign? You know, for Paul, living equals Christ. Is there maybe something of less value than Christ? If you can't say for me to live is Christ, what can you say? For me to live is maybe something's popping to your head right now. Maybe it's, it's success, financial security, health, maybe something more, more altruistic like my kid's future. Maybe it's a hobby like cycling or just it's the weekend. For me to live is the weekend. I just need to make it to the weekend. Or it's learning more. It's mastering something. Maybe it's friends or comfort or pleasure. 
pleasing your parents, avoiding embarrassment? What is on the other side of your equal sign? Does Christ have your daydreaming? Does Christ have your daydreaming, your planning? Is that what you're meditating on? Hey, I'm waking up, starting a new day. How am I going to get Christ's glory today? Now, I know that this is a little abstract, and perhaps you're thinking, I'm not sure. I spent a lot of time driving to work. I spent a lot of time changing diapers. I spent a lot of time doing what I have to do to stay alive. So Paul's going to help by clarifying and expanding his statement. So this brings us kind of to our next outline point. You have it there. Paul's purpose statement clarified. We see that in verses 22 to 24. And really, Paul is, uh, is just kind of opening up his mind for us to, to see how he thinks and how he clicks. He, he's going to expand his purpose statement for us. He let, lets us listen in to his internal dialogue. He's thinking out loud, and he's teaching the Philippians how to think by doing this. So Paul expands both how, how to live as Christ and, and how to die as gain. So let's how to, to live as Christ. Uh, I'll, I'll read again from verse 21. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What is this fruitful, this productive labor that Paul's talking about? For Paul, I think specifically, his focus is his missionary, church planning, pastoring efforts. It's the work that Paul did to see Christ magnified in the life of others. And he did this many different ways. He did this through praying and writing letters and proclaiming Christ and encouraging and exhorting and warning and pleading. This is the kind of fruitful labor that he did. But I, I think it also includes everything he did to make this kind of fruitful labor possible. And many times Paul talks about just the actual physical work he did so that he could do this fruitful labor. Like in 1 Thessalonians 2.9. For you, you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So that fruitful labor, I'm sure it included the, the work he had to do to do this fruitful labor. Laboring, as far as we know, and we know that he was a tent maker night and day, getting up in the middle of the night so that he could work all day long, so then he was freed up to proclaim the gospel. Paul was confident that his living would result in fruit-producing labor. People would turn to Christ. People would grow in Christ. Now, we're, we see even more if we go down to verse 24, what this fruitful labor is. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. We've already seen, we're going to explore more, what it means to to die is gain. But what's more necessary is that Paul lives for the Philippians' sake. He's going to continue existing, continue here in this life for their benefit. And that's why you are here today if you're in Christ. It is necessary for you to be here. And that leads us to our next application question. Application question two. Does my living mean labor? Does my living mean labor for Christ? It's important to add on that for Christ. I know that many of us says, yes, my living does mean labor. I've been doing a lot of that, years of it. But, but, but it's more than that. Does my living mean labor for Christ? Does your being alive today, July 16th, mean fruitful labor? Is that why you're here this morning? Is that why you got up? Knowing that God has fruitful labor for you today. 
Are you using the resources, the gifts, the relationships that God has given you for the glory of Christ? And this isn't so much, and I say this cautiously, it's not so much about what you do, but about the, the exclusivity of your focus. God make, made us all different, right? We're all different. We have different skills and strengths. He's given us gift, different gifts to stewards, to be stewards of, to steward. But it is about the, 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 the one purpose, the living for Christ, the fruitful labor. So at your most basic commitment, fruitful labor should be why you do all you do. Fruitful labor should be why you do all you do. So are you seeking to maximize the impact you can have on God's kingdom? Are you seeking to be as useful as you can to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you strategically deploying yourself for what God made you for? Are you stretching yourself to see if you're maybe good at something you didn't know what you're good at? What you need to do is to say, I'm going to use who God has made me so that I can do as much fruitful labor as possible, so that I can see Christ glorified as much as possible, so that my brother and sisters in Christ will become as much like Christ as possible, so that those who don't know Christ can know Christ and become like him. So you do have this responsibility to say, I'm going to send myself with the gifts that God has given me and the time that God has given me as strategically as possible so I can do as much fruitful labor as possible. When you rest, do you rest so you can return refreshed for more fruitful labor? Is that why you go to sleep? So you can wake up refreshed, giving yourself enough time, ready to do more fruitful labor. Is that why the weekend comes? So that you can be refreshed by the day off, so that you can do more fruitful labor. Your labor will be fruitful, right? You're going to have fruit from your labor. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says... Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It's not going to be wasted effort. Worst comes to worst, you find you're not good at something and you do something else, right? At the very least. But it's not going to be wasted. Galatians 6, verses 9 through 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good. I think about that for our dear children's ministry workers. It's really true for all of us as parents. It's true of those who are zealous with the gospel evangelists. Don't lose heart in doing good, even if you don't see immediate results. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So does your living mean labor for Christ? That's why you're here. So use that, really, God makes us distinct and unique and beautiful people, right? He's, he's, he's made you who you are. So are you stewarding who you are in fruitful labor so that Christ is glorified? Now, Paul explains a little bit there. We see him dialoguing a little bit. We see a little window into what it means for me to live as Christ. But we also see what it means to die as gain. So I'm going to go back up, and, and, and really, Paul didn't do a nice little outline here. He talks about one, and then the other is kind of uh, uh, interwoven. That's really how we think, right? We can bounce back and forth. So I'll, I'll jump up back to 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's gain. 
But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. To depart, it was a word you used to talk about, lifting up your anchor so the ship can sail. To strike your camp and to go on, it's packing your bags. Immediately following our death, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have him as our only hope in life and death, we die and immediately go to be with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body than to be at home with the Lord. To be away from the body is to be instantaneous with, instantaneously with our Lord. Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And that's the good news that each of us who are in Christ Jesus look forward to. Instantaneously we will be with him, which is very much better That's what Paul says, it's very much better. And why is it better? It's true that being with Christ means the absence of suffering. But Paul's emphasis here is not on escaping a hard life. And Paul had a hard life. We already read that, right? I mean, I couldn't imagine being beaten with, you know, whipped, flogged 39 times once. I don't want it to happen one out of 39 times. To go through that five times, he had a hard life. But For Paul, life was about participating in Christ's suffering. Philippians 3.10, this is Paul's earnest cry that I may know him and the power of Christ's resurrection and the fellowship of Christ's suffering, being conformed to his death. Life was about going through suffering with Christ. It's what Christ went through. And for Paul, life was participating in Christ's suffering. So this wasn't about escaping from suffering. That's not, now that's true, That's not why he says it's very much better. Paul focuses instead on the reward of being with Christ himself. Psalm 16, 11 says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And that is true for us when we are with Jesus Christ. There is fullness of joy with Jesus Christ. Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. And when our eyes close and we take our last breath, we open our eyes and we are satisfied with Christ. Amen? It's good news. We will apprehend him as he really is. We'll finally get him. We'll know him more than we know him now. I can't imagine, but it won't be infinitely more. I, I don't even think we'll be able to compare how wonderful he is to how, much, how, how, how little we get him now, even though we love him. It'll be with being a, our shepherd and our king and our savior. Bible pictures him as our husband, as our brother, as our priest. This is good news. So this leads us to our third application question. Am I longing to be with Christ? Am I longing to be With Christ. It is good to long for heaven. Right? It's good to long for heaven. Heaven has many blessings. But the crown of heaven is Christ. Are you only weary of suffering? Are you only weary of sinning? Or do you also miss your Savior? 
So what's the biggest allure of heaven for you? When you think about, I can't wait to get to heaven, it's because I don't have to work anymore in this miserable job? Is it because I don't have to sin anymore and offend Christ? These are some good motives. Is it that I don't have this pain anymore? I don't have this sadness anymore? There's lots of great reasons to look forward to heaven. Scripture encourages us with this, not necessarily about the miserable job, but we know that our labor will be more fruitful in, 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 uh, in heaven. But Scripture gives many promises there. But if the biggest allure of heaven, don't let it be what's not there, but who is there. Is that why you long for heaven? Or have you confused the perks of heaven with the person of heaven? See, death is gain because you get to be with Christ, the best person in the universe, right? Have you ever gotten together with, with, with someone that, uh, with kind of a long-lost friend, someone that you haven't been able to meet in a long time, especially if they're, if they're your brother or sister in Christ? And, and as soon as you get together, it's like just this refreshing friendship. And, and you're sharing your walks, and it's so sweet, and it's so good. How much sweeter will it be when we are with Jesus Christ? Our reunion with him is going to be intimately, I mean, intimately, that's true, but infinitely more refreshing. Jesus is living water, but here we're kind of stuck trying to, drink through a straw, right? We're just limited by sin and selfishness and, 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 and even our own physical bodies. Jesus is the bread of life, but here our best meals are only just nibblings. Jesus is light, and we're still seeing him as if through sunglasses on because we can't see him yet as he is. But in heaven, in heaven, we're going to stare unhindered at the brightness of Christ. And we'll forever feast at the table of Christ, and will gulp eternally refreshing water from the fount of Christ. We will be with Christ. This morning, are you confident that your death is gain? Are you like, sign me up. The car's running. I can't wait to go. My bags are packed. I'm ready. Are you hesitant? For some of you here this morning, Death is not gain. It's the farthest thing from gain. It's your eternal loss. And it should be sobering. It should be fear-inducing. For you, death is not gain. If you are not in Christ Jesus, it is eternal blindness. It is eternal dissatisfaction. It's eternal anger. It's eternal bitterness, it's eternal self-righteousness, and eternal opposition to God. Always defiant, always shaking your fist at the God of the universe. Dying is not gain for you. So turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn from yourself, and turn from your sin, and turn from your self-righteousness, and turn from your self-focus. And repent and place your hope in Jesus Christ alone. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden's light. Turn to Jesus and he will save you. 
Death can be gained. You can be instantaneously changed so that you can say, I can't wait to die. Not because you've got some vague hope that the afterlife is better because this life is full of so much suffering, but because of the goodness of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Don't wait. Those who die in Jesus Christ lose nothing and gain everything. It is, as Paul says, very much better. Now, Paul's longing was so great, as we get back into verse 22, he says, I do not know which to choose. Now, it's not that the choice is being offered to Paul. It's not like he's deciding whether when he finally stands before Emperor Nero, he should sabotage his trial, kind of rile Nero up a bit, and get a death sentence. He's not really saying, oh, I'm thinking about choosing death here. But as his mind kind of balances and weighs the fruitful labor of living for Christ and the joy of being with Christ, as he balances between those two, for Paul, this is an impossible choice. He says in verse 23, I am hard-pressed from both directions. They're too compelling for me. They're both too good. I'm stumped. This is the worst game of would you rather ever. Now, when I was a high schooler, maybe some of you have done this, you imagine like the worst pain you could go through. You know, slides with razor blades into vats of vinegar. I don't know, did you ever play that when you were a kid? Like the worst game of would you rather, would you rather that happen or would you rather, you know, something with rats and honey and all that kind of stuff. Like maybe you do that. Or now, now I don't think about those, those bleak things anymore, but like what would I have to choose giving up? Pizza or hamburgers? So Paul's playing as he's in prison. I'm not, well, he's not really playing. But he, he, he's, he, there's this internal dialogue going on of would you rather? Would I rather keep laboring for Christ or would I rather be with Christ? Would I rather live or would I rather die? They're both too good and he's torn between the two of these. So that leads us to our fourth application question. Am I torn between living for Christ and longing to be with Christ? Am I torn between living and longing? Are those the two options that are pressing in so hard on you? Two just such compelling passions of your life. You're like, I can't choose. If you had to choose, would you find the choice impossibly difficult? And that's where Christians should be. They should be stuck. Torn between living for Christ and longing to be with Christ. So in love with Christ that the choice is impossible. I want to work for him, but I want to be with him. It could be more glory for Christ on earth or more of Christ in heaven. More glory for him now or more of him. I can't decide. Would you be stuck between those two competing desires? Would it be impossible for you to choose either path? Either to bring Christ as much glory as possible or to be with Christ as soon as possible. You should feel the tension. Like if you're feeling that tension now, that's a great place to be spiritually. But that's just not something we often think about. We don't often feel that tension. But maybe what if you don't feel that tension right now? What if, what, what if you're like, I kind of wish I did, but honestly, I'm kind of apathetic about it. I know I should feel that tension, but I'm just kind of kind of okay with it. I like going to church. I, I like serving in a ministry, but I want to keep living. It's not leading particularly because of fruitful labor. It's just, I like it here. If you don't feel that tension, 
return to your first love. Return to your first love. See, both of these desires are fueled by a love for Christ. I got to preach it a couple weeks ago in Revelation 2.5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Remember how sweet it was when you first turned to Christ. When he was your all. When if someone said, you want to die? You'd be like, yeah. You want to live for him? Yeah. Remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Pour yourself out again for him. Engage in fruitful labor. Be sold out. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's such a good principle here. If there is something that you love more than Jesus Christ, get rid of your family. Give it up. Don't give up your family. You just got to work on those affections and repent and do some other stuff. But other things, though, if you're like, for me to live is, is reaching this ideal weight. If for me to live is reaching this next promotion at work. For me to then give up something. Stop being on the internet. Do something different. Let him be your greatest love. Rekindle that. Spend time praying with him. Get a chunk of a day away praying with him. Spouses, tell your spouse, honey, I, I want to spend the day with you, but I need to go spend three or four hours alone praying until I know again that Christ is my chief love. See, don't be okay, vaguely apathetic, just kind of running the hamster treadmill. We should be all in or all out, right? It's, it, it's either I want to labor or I want to be home. You should be stuck. I can't choose. They're both so good. Now, Paul says that the choice is impossible, but really I think he chooses. And we see Paul's purpose statement applied in verses 25 to 26. Paul says convinced of this. And, and if you look what that convinced of this, I think it's what he says in verse 24. It's more necessary for your sake. Staying alive is more necessary for you. So convinced of this. Because I know it's more necessary for you now that I be here, Paul says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith. And I don't think with that, I know that Paul's prophesying. Death is a real option here. And, and, and if, you read, if you read Philippians, he's confident that he's going to be released, but he's not certain. In verse 20, he said, whether by life or by death. Verse 27, he says, so whether I come and see you or remain absent. In 2.17, he talks about being poured out as a drink offering, definitely referring to his death. He didn't know for sure whether he was going to live or die. So when he says, I know I'm going to continue, and I'm, I'm, I will remain and continue with you, he's not prophesying. I know I'm going get, to get, 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 get out of jail. Instead, I think, I think he's saying here what he would choose. Even though being with Christ is superior, to live for Christ requires that he continues with them for your progress and joy in the faith so that they could apprehend and apply and enjoy the gospel. Paul is hoping to stay on earth, though he knows that being with Christ is immensely better so that he can minister, so that he can continue on in fruitful labor. He has eternity to be with Christ, but he can only live for Christ now. Now is the time for fruitful labor, to be a benefit to his brothers and sisters. 
So Paul talks about, well, he's, he, he knows as much as, as much as he has say in it, he's going to continue with them for their progress and joy in the faith. And then we see a result of that in verse 26. And, and I have to tell you, and, and all the commentaries agree, this verse in Greek is very challenging. And uh, those who ha- have, have a New American Standard are going to see how different it, 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 it is from, from, from the English Standard Version. And I'm going to read both here. So the New American Standard Bible says, So that your proud confidence, which is kind of an interesting phrase, proud confidence, in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. That's just a strange phrase. You're like, I love the rest of the passage. I get to that, and I don't know what it's talking about. Proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus. It, it's, it's, it's challenging. The ESV helps maybe a little bit, but it's challenging too. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Yes, those are the same Greek words there. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And here's what some of the challenges, and maybe a, a more, more literal, is, is so that you may have ample cause to glory, or that you may have abounding reason to rejoice, or lots of proud confidence in Christ Jesus in me. And so both the, the, the New American Standard and the ESV put the in me early. I think it should go better after Christ Jesus, so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus in me because of my coming to you again. Or, or, or if you're reading the New American Standard. So that your proud confidence may abound in Christ Jesus in me through my coming to you again. And I think what Paul's saying here is that they will have abounding, overflowing confidence in Christ Jesus because of Paul's ministry to them, if and when he, he can come to them again. See, their proud, I mean, they're, they're, they're proud. Their progress and joy in the faith are, are going to lead to something. It's going to lead to proud confidence. Now, this word, and some, some is translated in our Bible, boasting, you can't say boasting and not have a, a negative feeling, right? right? We just think about boast, boasting, and it's like, it's just awkward. The, the, the word for proud confidence here, or cause to glory in ESV, has the idea of being so confident in something that the result is rejoicing. So confident in something that you rejoice. Now, this kind of boasting can be bad. If some of you read the news, you heard uh, about a boxer and a uh, UFC fighter uh, this past week who did some boasting, right? They have so much confidence in their physical ability to ruin one another that it leads to them rejoicing in themselves. They have so much confidence that when they get into the ring, they're going to tear each other apart, that they're happy, and they're like, look at me, I'm amazing. Okay, now that's the bad kind of boasting. Right? But that is the word here. So, so, so in Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, here's kind of some, some common verses. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Bad things to boast in. You can boast and say, I'm so rich and rejoice in that, or I'm so strong and rejoice in that. But in verse 24 of Jeremiah 9, but let him who boasts boast of this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And that's the kind of boasting that Paul's talking about here. It's that confidence that leads to rejoicing. I know God, so I'm going to rejoice. And that's what Paul wants to be the result of their progress and joy in the faith, in their understanding, increasing of the gospel, in their apprehending it. That they're going to know the gospel so well that the overflow of that, 
that, that, that they're going to abound in proud confidence. Again, I don't think it's proud confidence in Paul. And really, in the Greek word order, it's, it's proud confidence overflowing in Christ Jesus. They're going to boast in Christ Jesus. They're going to exult in Christ Jesus. That they're going to get the gospel so well. They're going to be so confident that to die is gain. That they're going to rejoice in Christ Jesus in me. And I think he's talking about his ministry to them by his coming to them again. And he even explains it. By, by my coming to you again, I've got something to give you, Paul says. By my coming to you, you can rejoice in the faith. Your faith can progress. Because of that progress, you're going to have more reason to rejoice in Christ Jesus. You're going to have more confidence to exalt because you're going to see yourself grow. Now, we saw that Paul himself has this kind of confidence, right? Because re remember, and we, we talked about this last week, he rejoices. And he rejoices because he knows salvation is coming. And he knows salvation is coming because of the prayers of the saints. And he knows salvation is coming because of the help of the Spirit. But he also knows salvation is coming, he says, not just because of justification, but according to my, and this is verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul rejoices because he's confident that salvation's coming. And that's the same gift that he wants the Philippians to have. To rejoice because they're confident salvation is coming. And that's going to come as their understanding of the gospel grows. As their joy in the gospel grows. And that's why Paul wants to stay with them. It's why he makes this impossible choice. And he's like, oh, I want to be with Christ, but it's more necessary for your sake that I'm with you. So I know if as much as I can, I'm going to continue and I'm going to be with you so that your joy can, can grow and that your confident rejoicing in Christ will grow. So that leads us to our fifth application question. Why hasn't God taken me home? Why hasn't God taken me home? Paul had a clear answer. It was for the benefit of the saints. It was for their good. And that's why you are here today, brothers and sisters. If you are in Christ Jesus, it is for the good of the saints. You are here for the progress and joy of our faith. You are here for the progress and joy of the faith of God's elect who haven't yet been saved. I need you here. We together need you here. In God's plan, it is more necessary for you to remain. That's why you're here today. And I'm not saying it selfishly. It's for my progress and joy in the faith. I live for Christ when I work for your progress and joy in the faith so that you overflow in confident, joyful exaltation in Christ. And you live for Christ when you work for our joy and progress in the faith so that we overflow together in confident, joyful exaltation in Christ. That, brothers and sisters, is why God hasn't taken you home. Yes, it is far better to be with Christ, right? We should all be like, bomb on this place? Yes, we get to be with Christ. But there's fruitful labor for you here. There's fruitful labor for you here. So we have to ask ourselves, what is your life's purpose? What is your purpose statement? Can you say with Paul, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That is 
useful to think about every single morning. That is useful to think about every time you come home after work. At every transition in your day, you can't go wrong thinking, for me to live as Christ's gain, to live as Christ to die is gain. Is that your purpose? Are you fulfilling your purpose? Or are you simply biding your time? Let's pray. Lord, we have been challenged by this uh, uh, really well-worded, well-crafted, memorable statement by Paul. And that it is so important for our whole existence for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I pray, Father, that you would help us bring glory to your Son by giving us a resolve, a resolve which we cannot fulfill on our own, but only through your Spirit. That we would say, too, that for me to live is Christ, that that would mean fruitful labor for us, that we would do what is more necessary for the saints, that we, like Paul, would suffer all things for the sake of the elect, that we would have a zealousness to see one another transformed into the image of Christ, that we would be stewards of whatever gifts that you've given us. We know that you make us different, and, and some are, are, have these gifts of serving, and some have gifts of speaking, Lord, but we want to be faithful stewards with all the gifts that you've given us. We want to be spent. We want to leave it all out on the field. We want to be utilized for your glory so that Christ is, is, is formed in us for our progress and joy in the faith so that we can have this joyful expectation of being united with Christ. Lord, to die is gain and we confess that. We would much rather long to be with Christ. We'd much rather be at home Lord, and I confess that there are so many other things that sidetrack us. And that we can spend days and weeks, and, and maybe for some of us even months, without this longing. And I pray, Father, that that would no longer be true, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would be so homesick. And not just because of the suffering here, though, that does lead us to look towards heaven. But because we want more of Christ. And we want to drink more fully and to eat more fully and to know him as he is. I pray, Father, we cannot do this work in our hearts. And I can't do this work in my brothers' and sisters' hearts. They can't do it in my heart, although you can use us for this, Lord. But this is the work that you do. So please, Father, answer this prayer. And may it be the prayer that we all offer for one another. That we'd be so eager and earnest to live for Christ and to die for Christ so that we could be with Christ. Jesus' name.